0: Barkley put it, <laughs> looking like another Grease Paul night in Philly, Philly, Philly. Philly. This is the one. This is the episode I've had circled on my calendar since long, long before this officially got off the ground over a week ago. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Grease Pole Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Neill. I have no idea how long I'm going to say that I am your host thing because it doesn't sound like something I would naturally say, but we are in episode two of the Grease Pole Podcast. So still new, feel like I have to include it for now, but training wheels will be off soon. Now, before we get going uh, and talk birds and talk draft and first round options, things of that nature, which is the reason I'm here I got to ask a rhetorical question, and wherever you are, do me a solid and answer this out loud, whether you're by yourself or in a room full of people. Matter of fact, even better if you are in a room full of people. I cannot be the only one who suddenly has a strong desire to Chris Benoit, everybody in sight guy, gets to the convenience store clerk two steps before you. It's the worst, man. So stop for a for an energy drink, bottle of water, right? And it always happens, the guy always, or, or woman, it's not just dudes that play the lottery. It always happens when you're in there just for something small, right? It never happens when you're in there for gas or like one of the little taquitos off the roller or whatever, and you're going to make somebody else wait. You're trying to get in and get out. And lottery ticket guy beats me there by about two steps, and I'm just like, oh, shit. And to make matters worse... Because of C-19 going on, he's got a, one of those face masks on <clears throat> it has got a Patriots logo on it. So immediately the hatred level rises even more, like this motherfucker. So he gives the guy his stuff. And of course, because that's the way it works out, Murphy's Law, there's only one clerk working. Just one. So he gives this guy a stack <laughs> of tickets, right? And then while the guy's going, while the clerk goes and he takes he takes the guy's tickets to scan them or whatever the fuck they do, he goes back to the wine section because with his winnings, he's going to get weird. He actually looked like he had already had a few on the way there, to be honest, the way he was walking. But he comes back to the register, two bottles of convenience store Chardonnay, one in each hand, just fisting them. Sets them on the counter, sitting there. So... Anyway, this transaction goes on, and it's, it's about five minutes, which feels like a decade in the moment, right, when you're just standing there and you're like, dude, like I can feel condensation in my hands now from these beverages. I just want to get and get the hell out of here. So this finishes up, and by now there's a line wrapped around to the beer cooler, of course. So the clerk takes these Chardonnay bottles, and he puts them in a 7-Eleven uh, free plug, <laughs> 7-Eleven. They're not even corporate no more. They're franchise. Fuck them. Puts them in a 7-Eleven plastic bag. Because here in the state of Virginia, you have to have your booze in a bag. It's law. And these 7-Eleven bags uh, couldn't hold a bag of Doritos. If you sneeze, they fucking rip. So they're not going to hold two bottles of Chardonnay, likely. Dude doesn't double bag them. I think he did that on purpose. (laughs) Because dude grabs them. Old guy. Patriots mask guy. And as he's walking out of the store, somewhat sideways, bag rips, Stone Cold Steve Austin's music hits, Chardonnay, fucking everywhere. And oddly, I got like the Chris Benoit feeling I had immediately went away. And I laughed at the guy inside, of course. And it made it better because he had a Patriots thing on. I'm assuming he was a Patriots fan. uh, So it made his unfortunate... uh, you know, situation even better. A lot of lot of misfortune going on right now for the with the NFL draft. Uh watch a lot of tape every year because it's just it's just methamphetamine. I love it. But with nothing else going on in the world right now, there's nothing else to do but watch more tape even than usual on guys. So I am even more so ready for this draft than I have been probably any other draft in my life that I can think of. I'm thirty one years old. So, super stoked for this one. Really curious to see how the virtual draft elements play out. Sounds like it's going to be a fantasy draft without any of the fun, any of the beer, any of the heckling, right? You know, I guess they're going to pipe and booze to Goodell's basement. So, I guess he has somewhat of a sense of humor. Really hard to imagine that, though, with all the starchy clothes. Really, really hard to imagine Goodell having a sense of humor. But I guess for charity, right? Because everything's uh, everything's corporate image for the Shield. So why waste any more time? I can't stand when the draft goes live and you're waiting for it at seven o'clock, and they're not going to put Cincinnati on the clock until seven sixteen. You just get pissed. You're already more wasted by the time they announce the first pick, which tomorrow is going to be Joe Burrow. Um, so let's get right into it here. There is a lot of uh, a lot of outlets on social media, uh, Eagles wise, that uh, that have been ranking their top ten wide receivers because it's presumed you know, by many, that that's where the birds are going tomorrow night, whether they stay at 21, trade up, trade back. The overwhelming betting favorite is that they go receiver for obvious reasons because at the end of the year, last year in December, Carson Wentz was throwing to Acme Stock Boys. So, you know, 11, 11 needs some weapons out on the perimeter, right? Alshon Jeffrey's older. He's a borderline Judas. You know, Deshaun Jackson getting up there in age, was hurt the overwhelming majority of the year last year. He just sent out like an Instagram post yesterday. Oh, everybody thinks I'm old. Look, man, you know, you're small and you've been in the league fucking 12 years. It is what it is. Like, come in. That's just what happens. Circle of life, right? Lion King. So, you know, I'm going to piggyback off of that here. I think my top 10 receiver rankings are a little bit different than a lot of other people's that I've seen. I didn't do that to be different. uh, But I've looked at a lot of these top 10 receiver rankings by Eagles fans, and I'm I'm intrigued, so I wanted to put my, put my own two cents out there, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on each guy here, we're going to delve into uh, several of these prospects over the course of this podcast, but what I wanted to do with the rankings for these guys, I wanted to just kind of point out their main trait that sticks out to me when watching film, watching them on Saturdays, I watch a lot of college football, love college football as well, immediately what comes to mind when I think of these guys, all right? So my first receiver in this year's draft, my wide receiver one, I'm going with Jerry Judy. First thing that comes to mind, you hear from everybody, route running, right? Best receiver, best route runner in years in Jerry Judy. Pure route runner, can run every route in the tree. Amazing. Number two, I'm going with C.D. Lamb. And that, I even feel, it feels kind of bad putting C.D. Lamb as as my second wide receiver. It's more like 1A and 1B with Judy and Lamb, right? So in that case, I've got Jude. I go Lamb as one B. He's a three-level playmaker, elite separation, quickness. You won't find he he doesn't he can create separation for himself the way few can. Can C D Lamb number three? I've got Henry Ruggs. Convenient because he's Henry Ruggs the uh, third. Main thing with him is speed. The comp to him is Tyreek Hill. Uh, and player comps I feel like have become a little. <laughs> I'll just say this. Out of all the comps I've seen, one of the most frequent ones I've seen in this year's draft is Jordan Love being comp to Pat Mahomes. Get the hell out of here. Seriously, get the hell out of here. All right, these player comps used to be like a thing that people use, like, hey, here and there sporadically. Now it's like we have to comp every single prospect to a pro guy. That said, one of the better ones, one of the more accurate ones there is, is Henry Ruggs and Tyree Kill because of the speed. I got Justin Jefferson at four. The hot name. We'll get into him. Monster in the slot. Absolute slot beast. Got the overwhelming majority of his tremendous production from the slot down in the bayou and LSU in 2019. Here's where I go a little different. Here's where I go off the rails compared to everybody else that I've seen. And love, love, love this guy. Love this guy. Led the nation in yak yards, yards after catch. Phenomenal. Give him the ball. Let him do the rest. A guy that takes a quarterback from, you know, thirty five hundred passing yards a year to forty eight hundred, you know, just just based off what he's able to do after the catch. Enzo Mims, I've got it six. Okay, you look at his t- not a not a ton of, not elite production wise in twenty nineteen out of Baylor, but he's got incredible size and speed. He's six three and two oh seven ran a four three eight at the combine, for an offense that's looking to get faster in the birds. You know, that's a pretty intriguing you know, intriguing combination because he got the size to go up and make and contest a catch. He's got the speed to get downfield. Love Denzel Mims. Number seven, give me Jalen Rager. Jalen Rager, when I look at his tape, I like the way he is in the red zone more than anything. Love Jalen Rager. He can high point the ball. You know, he's, he's one of those guys kind of on the back end of the first round. If Howie Roseman and company like him enough to take him, I would not be mad at all. Number eight, I'm going LaVisca Chenault out of Colorado. Much like CeeDee Lamb, but not quite as talented and explosive as C-League for Tampa. His kid's got toughness. He can make contests and catches on all three levels. Pittman can do it all, all over the field. Short routes, intermediate routes, go routes, you name it. At number 10, I'm going Homer here. I'm going Homer at number 10. Give me K.J. Hamler out of Penn State. You know... Lot of lot of drop balls in 2019. A Lot of drop balls, but I believe that's more mental than anything. I think we saw that firsthand, Eagles fans, with Nelson Aguilar. You can work through that, and you can also work yourself back to it, right? But he can stretch the field from the slot. He's got blazing speed once he's got the ball in his hands. Only thing to me is Hamler. He 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 reeks to me of boomer bust, in my opinion. I think if he If he goes to a team that's got a number one already in place or a quasi-receiver one, I think Hamler's a hell of a complimentary piece. I do not think at the NFL level, I don't think Hamler's going to be a wide receiver one, at least a high-end one. Again, most of his production out of the slot in terms of stretching the field. Love Hamler, love what he did in Happy Valley. Second-round grade. Would not be mad if the birds took him in the second round, but please, the people that are saying go him at 21 or trade back, take him in the first, please, get off the acid. So those are my top ten receivers in this year's draft. Again, just to run through the names, one, Jerry Judy, two, C.D. Lamb, three, Henry Ruggs, four, Justin Jefferson, five, Brandon Ayuk, six, Denzel Mims, seven, Jalen Rager, eight, LaVisca Chenault, Nine, Michael Pittman, and ten, KJ Hamler. So those are my top ten receivers. I expect at least five of them to go off the board tomorrow night, possibly six. You know, if you're feeling uh if you're feeling ballsy, maybe even seven, right? Loaded receiver class, not to beat a dead horse, one of the best we've seen in years, if not the best ever. So this has been this is smoke screen season. In the NFL draft, that's what teams do. Teams lie. <laughs> they put shit out there. Now we're hearing Miami loves Herbert over Tua. When tank for Tua had been a thing since August of last year. Teams just float out bullshit, right? The Giants, Dave Gettleman even said, oh, we love Justin Herbert. We've been Skyping with him. We're interested in him, even though we just shocked the fucking world by taking Daniel Jones at six last year and everybody laughed at his ass. Yeah, he's going to take Herbert this year at at, uh, at four overall. That's going to work. I hope to God he does. Please, for fuck's sake, as somebody who is in the same, whose team is in the same division as Dave Gettleman, may the Maras never fire Dave Gettleman. May Dave Gettleman never change. Please. Please. I would fucking pay to see him in front of his computer, in front of his desktop tomorrow, Windows 95, dial up, trying to make this thing happen. I would pay an amount of money that mattered to me to see that shit but it's smoke screen season a lot of line going on and again it's all going to come to fruition tomorrow night but the birds are no different at 21 because the entire you know again it's expected for the most part by most of the national pundits anyway that don't pay the predominant amount of their attention to the eagles of course it's assumed that receiver is going to be the routes it's taken of course it is it's the most glaring need at least on offense at least on offense. Different different side on defense. You can make an argument linebacker is the most glaring need on this team. So a lot of rumors flying around. Going back a couple days, there was the rumors of, wow, Howie Roseman, C.D. Lamb is the apple of his eye. He's going to try and move up and get C.D. Lamb because he's obsessed with him and this, that, and the third look. For the trade-up camp, please, shut up. There's way too many, there are way too many needs on this team way too many needs on this team the birds entered this draft with 10 picks we're down to eight after the darius slay trade now look i'm not saying the darius slay trade was a mistake absolutely not okay that trade needed to happen we had two threes we are now down to one same with fifth rounders okay so now we're down to eight picks (laughs) To trade up in the draft, you're going to have to give up a lot of draft capital, especially if we're referencing C.D. Lamb in particular, even if you look at Henry Ruggs. This team's sitting at 21 tomorrow night. Pittsburgh last year to move from pick 20 to pick 10 overall, I believe it was, to move up 10 spots to take Devin Bush, the linebacker out of Michigan. They gave up a first-rounder this year, swapped last year, First rounder with, uh, Jesus, I can't remember who was sitting at 10, who they traded up with. But they swapped first rounders with them last year, gave them their first this year, and also some additional picks, second rounders and things of that nature. That's way too much assets to give up when you have the needs this team does. Receiver, interior offensive line on, on the offensive side of the ball, on defense, linebacker is the glaring need. That's the receiver of the defense in terms of need. It's quarterback of the defense, really. But if you're talking needs, linebacker, Another safety wouldn't hurt. I know we just brought in Darius Slay, but another corner wouldn't hurt either. That's way too many groceries you need to buy at the store to just give, give money to the hobo sitting outside begging you for handouts. Way too much. Keep that money in your pocket. Use it. I would much rather stay at 21 and take the best receiver there, whether it be Justin Jefferson, should he make it, Denzel Mims, whoever Howie Roseman prefers, I'd be fine. Iuke, Jalen Rager. Then you circle back around in the second, or excuse me, in the third round. You could even go receiver back to back first and second. I think you should go linebacker or corner in the second round. Corner, particularly, depending on who's there. If a Jeff Gladney or a Jalen Johnson falls, you should go corner. That's what I would do, depending on how the board falls. But. You could go receiver first and third, take you a Justin Jefferson, take a Brandon Ayuk. take Jalen Rager, Denzel Mims, whoever. Come back around the third round. You got a third rounder still, right? It's at the back end, but you still got a third rounder. You can get, you know, this draft man is so loaded with receivers, you can get a Lynn Bowden out of Kentucky maybe. Love that guy. More on him later. Devin DuVernay, possibly receiver out of Texas. Van Jefferson out of Florida. There's a lot of receivers here to be had. There's a lot of talent. Don't give up assets in this draft. That's all I'm saying. Also, a possibility has been uh, floated out there, of course, because everything is floated out. You know, there's a chance if Justin Jefferson is gone, Howard Eskin reported this, that the Birds would possibly trade back or take a linebacker, either Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray, maybe a C.J. Henderson if he's there. Look, Even if you have a Justin Jefferson there, if you draft Patrick Queen or if you draft C.J. Henderson, I'm not going to be so pissed off. I'm just not. They're they're good players. That's what this thing's all about. Just add good players to your team, right? That's what it's about. I wouldn't even be against, okay, if Justin Jefferson goes, you know, let's say he goes to the Raiders at 19 or he goes to the Jaguars at 20 because they never know what the fuck they're doing down there. Justin Jefferson's gone. He's quote-unquote the guy that Howie Roseman's supposed to go with or whatever the fuck. You trade back. Trade back a few picks. Trade back a few picks. Get you a third-rounder back. There's going to be receivers there. Get an extra pick for later in this draft. Move back to 25, 26, 27, wherever. Take you a Mims. Take Jalen Rager. And now you've added an extra pick. I'm more in favor of trading back not not out of the first round, not into the high second. I wouldn't want to move back more than five or six spots. And again, it depends on whether or not you've got a trade partner, whether you've got somebody who's looking to make a move up the board. If they are, boom, you got a trade partner. Move back, get you that extra pick, make this team better in the long term. Don't always go for the splashy move. That is why I'm dead set against trading up. To me, it makes no sense. There's way too many needs on this team, way too many. You're giving up way too many assets if you move up, especially if you're trying to secure a CD lamb. You know, rug shouldn't cost a ton, still not in favor of it. There's also a lot of rumors now. Judy may slide. He's got a knee problem. Lingering knee stuff, right? Medical things. Last minute, that's how this stuff goes. It comes out. Look at Laramie Tunsil a couple years ago, getting high as fuck on draft night. That's the way this stuff goes, man. Last minute, everybody's trying to put stuff out. The board is constantly changing. So that's what I say. I say to me personally, do not move up. Minimum stay at 21. You know, argument can be made to move back. Play the board see what's there. Speaking of the draft board, I'm going to get to a handful of guys here in the first round. This is strictly for tomorrow night, the first round. I got five guys here okay and it I've kind of divided up because this isn't necessarily my top five guys I want the Eagles to take the first two here are sleepers that I feel not a lot of people are talking about but I can absolutely see a possibility where Howie Roseman takes these guys at 21 again should there be no trade partner to move back but a trade up does not happen and you're sitting there at 21 you know Jefferson's gone you know, the the absolute top guys on the board are gone for Howie Roseman. He can't make a deal back. He's stuck. He's got to make a pick. He's on the clock. <laughs> You're only going to be able to blame it on an inter- internet connection for a couple of minutes. Right? But he's going to have to make a pick. These first two guys are guys I feel like are sleepers, guys I would not be pissed off and break stuff in my house if the birds took them. The fucking last three, those are my main guys, three, two, and one, that I want tomorrow night. So, again, two sleepers. Followed by my top three guys. Let's get after it. So, my first sleeper, not even really a sleeper because he's a first-round pick. I'm going Xavier McKinney out of Alabama the safety. And, again, the reason I call him a sleeper here is because I haven't seen him mock to the birds a whole lot. I haven't. But it's a pick that would make a ton of sense for this team. Okay, again, the moves at safety. Malcolm Jenkins is gone. Jalen Mills now makes a switch over to safety. Roddy McLeod is brought back. Okay, but you're going to need – that's not – that's not, again, you always got to think long-term, right? You have to. And he's the latest positionless defensive player out of Alabama. He was used as a nickel cornerback at Bama. He's most effective attacking into the box. He's an effective blitzer who closes fast. Great wrap-up tackler. Can also lower the boom on a guy. Hit stick. Remember Madden 05? He can drop the boom on a guy. Rarely, if ever, takes a bad angle. McKinney can cover a lot of ground. A lot of ground. Fluid enough to cover the slot. You know, he's got enough range where he can play center field as well. Watching him, he's got incredible instincts. Tremendously high football IQ for someone in safety position. He's got great vision. He can cover receivers over the top. He's a sticky defender. He can stay with a route down the length of the field. Not a lot of wasted movement when you watch McKinney. Not a lot. Not a lot of wasted footwork. Everything he does has a purpose. He can explode laterally. You know, when you watch his tape, there's really not a ton of glaring weaknesses. In all honesty, there's really not. If anything, you could just pick on him physically. He's got a slightly thinner build. He's got a little bit of a thin frame. It's 6'1", 200 pounds. His frame's a little lean. You know, but he hits a weight room. As simple as that. Hit the weight room, put a little bit of weight on. You know, that can be fixed, man. But when you watch his tape. He's absolutely somebody you want. You know, he, he's versatile as hell. You can put him anywhere on the defense. You know, safe for defensive line, obviously. You know, and he can get the job done for you. Love McKinney. He's a playmaker. You know, again, Howie Roseman gets his name called at 21. You know, I'm not I'm not throwing shit at my television. My second sleeper, and this one is a bit of a homer. I'm going to Happy Valley here. Give me Yitor Gros Matos out of Penn State, edge rusher. Love this dude, man. Love this dude. Loved watching him. Every Saturday. He's a Penn State fan and bought me great pleasure to watch him reach, he- wreak havoc on opposing quarterbacks and offensive line. First of all, he's got <clears throat> the backstory on this guy is incredible. You can't, he's one of those guys, if you know his backstory, if you don't know his backstory, you can't help but root for this guy, right? His biological father died in a boating accident when he was two years old, and his brother got fatally struck by lightning when he was 11. You can't help a root for a guy like that who's pushed through that level of personal loss and still found his way even into this conversation. That's huge. That says a lot about a guy's mental makeup, let alone what he can do on film. But in terms of what he can do on film, he's got a long, lean frame primarily from a four-point stance is how he played at Penn State. He's got a good get-off, good initial surge. He's more of a power rusher, but he's he's got really good hand usage. Uh, he can disengage easily. He's got a nice rip move. He brings positional versatility. He can play a three technique and a wide nine. Any any gap you want to line him up in, he's there. He's got good size off the edge. He's not a run liability. He brings a high motor. He's got the ability to shoot gaps. Uh, last two years, 34 tackles for losses and 17 sacks. Nice production. He's gone. He's gone through some cold stretches, admittedly. But again. Total package, body of work, 34 tackles for losses, 17 sacks in the last two years. Size, he's got a huge 82-inch wingspan. His pads pop up at times because he's 6'5". That's a problem. Technique, that can be fixed. Get your pads down, high pads. His hands are a little bit slow. Uh, His play strength at the point of the tack needs to be improved. Again, coaching, not a problem. He's quicker than he is explosive. He should Eventually, he's going to need to develop counter moves to – to be even more effective at the NFL level. His power is not at his peak because of the point where he's at in his physical development. This guy is still a young, young man. The way he's built, he's not even at his physical peak yet. Once he gets there, watch out. You know, his best football is going to be ahead of him as he gets bigger and stronger. Again, weight room, that's the thing. As he adds pounds, as he adds bulk, as he hits the weight room, he's going to be even more of an asset to a team. So those are two guys. And, again, I haven't seen of all the mock drafts I've studied in this mock draft season – Haven't seen those names come up a whole lot, right? Starting to see a little. I almost put C.J. Henderson up here. But I've started to see he's kind of sneaking up a little bit, a little bit of C.J. Henderson love. Because, again, corner's still a need for this team, you know? But McKinney, Gross Matos, those are two guys. Call their name at 21. I'm going to bed happy tomorrow night. So first three, the next three, excuse me, (laughs) are, and I'm going to go in order here, 3 two, one at the top of my big board or wish list, if you will, of who I'm absolutely hoping for, fingers crossed, uh, either fall to the birds tomorrow night and or whose name gets called. Number three, give me Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver out of Arizona State. Again, going back to the wide receiver rankings. Might be some people laughing out there. I got him at five. Oh, it's high. I've seen a lot of Brandon Can tie. He's He's in most people's top ten receivers. But he's hanging out kind of toward the bottom. The highest I've seen him on a lot of people's is seven. I think the only other person that has him in the top five might be Daniel Jeremiah. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever that's worth. Thing I like about him, man, he's six he's six foot even, two hundred five pounds, eighty-one inch wingspan. Eighty-one inches. That's equal to six foot fucking nine. He's six foot tall. Who the fuck is built that way? Seriously, who's built that way? All right, big hands, too. That catch radius, again, with that wingspan, incredible. Ran well at the combine, 4.5 seconds in the 40. Only 11 bench reps, but again, he's a receiver. He doesn't have to throw up 30 reps. 40-inch vertical to, uh, at the combine as well. He, uh, he was first-team all-pack 12 in 2019, 1,192 yards, 18.3 yards per catch, and eight touchdowns. For the Sun Devils. Not only that, as a receiver, this dude is versatile as fuck. He can return punts and kickoffs for you. Average 31.9 yards a return on kickoffs, 16 yards on punt returns. Again, people, Darren Sproles is retired. All right? He's not. Old, old reliable isn't going to be out there anymore. You're going to need somebody on special teams to return kicks and punts. All right? Brandon Ayuk's your guy. He brings more to the table than he does a receiver. All right, versatility as well on offense. He can line up outside. You can put him in the slot, production either way. He can pluck the ball, tuck and run. He's got a quick transition up the field. He's an explosive athlete, great in space. Go watch some of the film and watch him make stuff happen in space. It's beautiful. Uh, Led the nation in yak yardage per pro football focus, 9.9 yards per play. That's 10 yards a catch, basically that he adds to every single play. Phenomenal. He's got your size and speed. The only thing with him, he could improve physicality. He can improve his physicality to make contested catches. That's strength of another receiver we're going to get to in a minute. Contested catches is something that is not a strength of his at this point. Uh, He needs to add physicality to the finesse he brings to the table. Again, same deal with contested catches. Get physical. Uh, He also underwent core muscle surgery earlier this month. Uh, But per Adam Kaplan, he's expected to be ready to go by June. Um, So he's a guy that I've seen, again, these player comps, man. I don't know what some of these people are on, but he's a – I've seen him comp the Nelson Aguilar, and I don't – again, whatever drugs these people are on, man, please, please give me some. I'll DM you my address, man. Send me some of that shit. This guy is not Nelson Aguilar, man. Again, with those hands, with that wingspan, catch radius – he didn't drop a single pass at Arizona State this past year again. He please, he's no one Nelson Aguilar. Not at all. Okay. Do your homework, study the tape. You know, don't, don't just go off of, you know, okay, they run him on similar stuff. He kind of looks the same, build-wise, height-wise, that's what he is. He is nothing like Nelson Aguilar. Brandon Ayuk will be, in my opinion, a sure playmaker at the NFL level. So that's number three on my top three wish list. Number two. Let's go down to the bayou to the national champs. Give me linebacker. Patrick Queen. Fucking love this guy, man. He's a guy. I remember telling my brother-in-law, man, a couple weeks ago before his name started popping up everywhere to the birds and mocks. Not everywhere because he's not not a receiver. But, again, there's become a little bit of steam there. Howard Eskin uh, is reporting now that if the Eagles are still at 21, top four receivers are gone, he's a possibility. That wasn't the case a month ago. I've loved this guy Love this guy all year long, even more so when you watch the tape. He's got eye-popping film. It's incredible. Go watch it. Pull it up on YouTube. This guy's tape is amazing. He can diagnose a play quickly and attack. Great lateral quickness. He keeps his eyes in the backfield and hits gaps with tenacity. Square pads, low base, fundamentals, on point. Excellent open field tackler, and he's got that mentality you want in a middle linebacker. That quarterback mentality, that leadership mentality, he's an alpha. He's the guy you want out there at middle linebacker. It's, certain, it's just like a quarterback, man. You want a certain personality for your middle linebacker. You don't want Jameis Winston as your quarterback. <laughs> you know what I mean? You want a guy with a certain mindset. Same as middle linebacker on defense, quarterback of the defense. You want a guy that's an alpha. That's exactly what Patrick Queen is. He can also hold his own. Good in coverage versus tight ends and running backs. He closed his 2019 campaign incredibly strong. Go watch him against Georgia in the SEC championship game. Watch him in the playoffs against Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl. Watch him in the national championship game against Clemson. He's everywhere making plays. Only downside with him, and you'll hear it everywhere, it's the only thing that's affiliated with him, he's a one-year starter. Inexperience with Patrick Queen. But again, everything else you see, you know, he's in the SEC, man. <laughs> you know, and I'm a I'm a Big Ten guy. But, you know, let's let's call it what it is. The SEC is the best conference in college football. To put together that level of tape, that impressive a tape in a year. I know it's only his first year as a starter, but Jesus, give me Patrick Queen as a quarterback of the Birds defense at twenty one, and I'll be happy as a fly on a turd. This probably won't be much of a surprise here. Number one on my big board. Popcorn fart, Justin Jefferson, wide receiver out of LSU. I hate to go chalk. I even – I wanted to just switch this up just to be a dick. I wanted to go somewhere else. I didn't even want to put Jefferson up here because, to be honest, and this is going to sound incredibly petty, but I didn't even – I didn't even – I wanted to put somebody completely different up here just 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 to see because you see his name so much linked to the Eagles at 21. You know what I mean? You see his name everywhere and I'm like, "Okay, should I?" And then I kept looking at the names. I'm like, "You know what, the big board, I'm like, I can't do it. He's if he's there at 21, you take him." So Justin Jefferson is the top of my wish list. And again, you look at the you look at the season Joe Burrow had. And Jefferson's a huge reason why. Jefferson's a huge reason why. So is Jamar Chase. He'll be coming out next year, though. He's irrelevant right now. Look at his historic performance in the Peach Bowl, okay, against Oklahoma. 14 catches, 227 yards, four touchdowns, all four touchdowns in the first half. The first half against Georgia. Excuse me, against Oklahoma, not Georgia. That was SEC championship game. Four touchdowns and a half in a college football playoff game. Unreal. Unreal. I remember the fantasy football group chat that day was going fucking nuts. Thing with him, the only thing that concerns me, we'll get into this. Out of the 583 routes he ran in 2019, this is per, per. excuse me, Well, I can't say that phrase together for some reason, per pro football focus. I want to give them credit for this stat because I didn't watch it middly. I didn't run every single one of his routes in 2019 watching a lot of film a lot of tape i don't have that much time though but per pff he ran 575 of his 583 routes from the slot last year think about that for a minute that's fucking nuts i'll get into that more in a minute i don't want to get bogged down in that right now again so total altogether last year in the slot 109 receptions for 1518 yards pure production from the slot. 2019 he led the nation in receptions with 111, second in touchdowns with 18 behind only Jamar Chase, who was his teammate also catching throws from Joe Burrow. Ran good at the combine, tested well, 4.43 at the combine, led the nation in contested catches at 92%. Uh, he's most effective in intermediate on excuse me, most effective on intermediate and deep routes. You're not going to see Justin Jefferson run a lot of drag routes, a lot of underneath stuff, right? Intermediate and deep routes is where he makes his money. Tremendous body control. That's a big thing. Love body control with a receiver. Be able to get, you know, catch the ball on the sideline, back shoulder throw, get all nine feet in bounds so it can be officially a catch. You can get all your feet in bounds, take a shit, wipe your ass, eat a six-course meal, shit it out again, then it's officially a catch. Justin Jefferson is great body control, uh, he adjusts well to back shoulder throws. Speaking of, he can track and high point the ball well. Saw that all year in 2019 at LSU. Thing with him, he could stand to fill out his frame. He, uh, just like um, McKinney, you know, he's he's got good size. 6'1", 202, he's just, he's a little lean. Needs to fill his frame out. Again, these are, t- a lot of these guys are still kids though, essentially. that'll That'll come with time. So for that to be the only downside to a guy or one of the only downside to a guy, you know, you're kind of nitpicking at that point. Uh, the only thing I can see, man, is he may not get, he might not get a ton of great separation at the NFL level. I don't think he's got really good long speed uh, on go routes against. I mean, he did look in SEC, which is the best conference again in college football against SEC defenses. He did, but it's a different game when you get to the NFL and you're going against NFL corners that can run a four three four four in their sleep. Completely different game. So I don't know if he'll be able to create a ton of separation because of the possible lack of long speed. Again, different when you run the 40 sprint. You know, I'm worried that not a bad thing at 21, but kind of that that balance. Is he going to be a receiver one or is he going to be a, a high-end receiver two? And again, once you get to that point, man, you're nitpicking. But you want a true number one for Carson Wentz. You do. Think back. Think of what a a true number one can do for an offense. Okay. Think when Donovan McNabb had TO. That makes all the difference in the world. I'm not one of these Colin Cowherd guys that believes, hey, you can just fucking pluck any receiver off the street and make shit happen. That's why I will always defend Wentz to the Wentz haters. What he did in December of last year was so goddamn special. If you don't understand it realistically, please don't ever talk football, at least to me. (laughs) I don't have patience for it. Maybe the guy at the bar who's rocking, you know, whatever, insert player names jersey here who's had one too many Jack and Cokes. Maybe that guy will talk to you, bowling alley guy, right? But it's a whole different story. You need that true playmaker. You do. So those are, again, and this is – my brother-in-law and I were talking about this earlier today, man. This is probably – I can't speak for anybody else, but I know myself personally when I'm going into a draft as an Eagles fan. and I can imagine the same way if you're a fan for any team, right? You've got a handful of guys you want and a handful of guys you absolutely do not want. And I do not remember a year like this where there are so many guys, just the depth that I look at and I go, I would be okay with that. You know, normally, I mean, I tend to be pretty cynical anyway, if I'm being honest. I've got maybe two, three guys every year, maybe nine at 21 or in that range again, whether we trade up or down, whatever the case may be, that if we come away with those guys in the first round, I'm going, man, I'm happy with that. I'm fine. I don't worry about waking up Friday morning with a wicked hangover, you know, and hating life. I'm okay. There's a lot of depth. So, again, not just those guys, not just those three or those team into in the future. Those are just a couple of guys personally that I prefer. But, again, as you know, this is not just a – anymore, it used to be back in the Pete Roselle days. He used to hang out in a hotel all day and smoke cigarettes and just do all 13 rounds, I think it was, of the draft back in the day in one day. And it was like an 18-hour marathon, you know. I don't know how they did that, man. I mean, the giraffe, like I said, love the draft more than any event of the year. But Jesus, 13 rounds in one day is a bit excessive. So you don't just have the first round tomorrow night. Obviously, that's what we'll get to first. Then you've got round two and three Friday, four, five, six, and seven on Saturday. So while we're here, before this thing officially got started, and I'll be back on Friday to discuss what the birds do tomorrow night, ultimately, or excuse me, not day two, well, yes, day two, round two and round three that are on my radar personally, depending on how the board falls in the first round that I like. But I wanted to get out in front of this because there's a lot of, again, from watching all this tape this year, there's a handful of guys, man, sleepers, that once you get to kind of late Friday, the back end of the third round, right, fourth, fifth, sixth, this is one of those drafts where you're still going to have quality guys there in day three, you know? Even if there wasn't a pandemic going on, there wasn't shit else on it. I'd say, make sure you stay locked to your TV on Saturday, because there are a lot of guys when round four kicks off on Saturday about noon or whatever time it is, there's still going to be a lot of quality on the board. A lot. So before this draft got started, I wanted to delve into some of the deep dive guys that I like a lot. And again, this can vary anywhere from third round grade to, you know, late day three grade. You know, anywhere from round three to, you know, round six or seven or so. So... First guy, and this this guy from playing college football fantasy on Yahoo, if you want to just double down on just being a drug addict fantasy-wise on weekends, don't just leave your Sunday. Don't just have your Sunday for NFL. There's also college football fantasy now, and it's fucking amazing. It is so great. And I had this guy as one of my running backs. That's not the reason why. Also, shameless plug, I'm going to be a total whore here and say that I won the College Football Fantasy League this year. I'm also overcompensating for the tiny penis I had in my NFL fantasy season because I just tanked horribly bad in the Keeper League and just sold everybody away for draft picks next year. So I'm the fucking Miami Dolphins' as Fantasy League, if we even have fantasy next year. Anyway, I don't want to get bogged down at the fantasy nerd bullshit, but point being, I had this guy as a running back on my College Football Fantasy team, loved him, liked him going into his senior year at Utah. Give me Zach Moss. Okay, he's a guy possibly, and this is not a, a super glossy, shiny running back class. DeAndre Swift's kind of the only guy that's maybe possible fringe first round. Jonathan Taylor, I like Cam Akers a lot. Uh, Eno Benjamin as well, out of Arizona State. Again, to be a whore, again, he was my other running back on my fantasy team. I will now shut the fuck up about that. But give me Zach Moss again, is a late possible day two guy. Uh, round four, I think, is probably his floor. Um, Zach Moss out of Utah, he's a senior, big body, pro football focus, highest graded running back in the nation in 2019. Came out with a 91.5 overall grade. Utah's all-time leading rusher. Nobody in Utah's history has rushed for more yards than Zach Moss has. In terms of skills, what he brings to the table, he can hit the holes in the O-line when they're there. When they're not, he makes people miss. It's that simple. Quick feet when defenders pop into the gaps and look to fuck his life up. Loose hips for a big guy. He's got really loose hips for a big guy. If you watch Zach Moss, he's built like a bowling ball. But he's got really loose hips. You don't normally see that for a big guy. Big guys usually run stiff, a little upright, if anything. Look at Eric Dickerson run back in the day, aside from his fucking Horace Grant goggles. And I love Eric Dickerson. But he ran upright. Zach Moss, loose hips, great body control. Loves to lower the boom and make defenders pay. Loves to. He sees those defenders, those DBs coming to him, linebacker, second level, he sees red. Loves to give him something to go back. Runs low with a wide base. He's got great power, incredible change of direction for a big guy. Again, big dude, so he's not a speed burner. If you're looking for a guy who's going to, you know, light up the highlight reels or anything, he's not exactly that. He's not a speed burner. He's a grinder. He's more of a grinder than he is explosive. You know, again, because he's not a speed burner, as a result, he's often chased down a lot in the open field. And, uh, you know, the only thing that bums me out with him, man, aside from he's had a lot of injury issues, man, quite a bit. Uh, You know, stuff for a running back, too, man, especially given their shelf life now. Not really what you want to see. And, again, that's why I'm not advocating for this guy in the second, third round. But if he's still there, we got three fourth rounders. Give him a look. Injury history at Utah. Just quickly, he missed two games in 2016 with a turf toe. Only played nine games in 2018 before he suffered a torn meniscus. Last year, he missed a game versus Washington State after suffering a left AC joint sprain against UFC. UFC, Jesus. USC. Southern Cal. You know, if he's healthy, he can produce consistency. He should have a nice, nice, you know, Seven, six, seven, eight-year NFL career. The main reason I like him is because we've already got Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders is already back there. And I think Miles Sanders is going to have a phenomenal year. All right? You put Zach Moss back there, they form kind of like a thunder and lightning duo. I like it. I like the idea of those two in the backfield together. If it was not for Miles – Zach Moss is not going to be your lead running back in 2020. He's just not. Maybe in 2000. In 2000, he'd be great. Not in this year's – not in the way – not now. Not now. All right, but you put him back there with Miles Sanders, let him spell him, short yardage situations, goal line. I love him. I love him. Again, we touched earlier quickly on the bird's needs, aside from receiver and linebacker, the obvious ones. Interior offensive line, okay? Interior offensive line. We're going to go down to Kentucky for this one. Lexington. Give me Logan Stenberg, guard out of Kentucky. Three-year starter for the Wildcats. Three years. Plenty of experience Logan Stenberg brings to the table. He's got about a third, maybe a fourth-round grade on him, so you'll be able to get him late day two, I'd go early day three. Somewhere in that window, though, depending on the board, love it. He helped Benny Snell become Kentucky's all-time leading rusher. Huge as hell, 6'6", 322 is Logan Stenberg. When you watch his tape, he's an absolute mauler. He's got nasty tape. He's an assignment-driven player, understands his role every single play. He's got a violent punch. He's an effective puller. You look at those sweeps, things of that nature. He can pull. He can get to the other side of the line. Tenacious run blocking. He's consistent in pass pro. Only allowed one pressure in 2019. Think about that. Only one pressure all year. Second team all SEC this past year. Again, only downside. Was flagged 14 times this past year. That's a lot. A handsy. All right? Not very versatile either. I'm sure you could probably move him around maybe, conditionally, potentially. Only played left guard, though. Only played left guard. Needs to loosen his hips up a little bit, too, from what I've seen. But, again, a mauler, when you can get a guy like that mid-round to, to beef up your O-line, you know, again, Brandon Brooks is coming off an injury, too. This is going to have to be addressed at some point. I think Stenberg would be a great pick for this team. Next up is one of my absolute favorite guys in this draft, especially when you look into day three, maybe even late day two. One of my favorite guys I've seen tape on this year, Reggie Robinson, cornerback out of Tulsa. God, I love this guy. He's a big corner. He's 6'1", 200 pounds, combine. He just jumped off the TV at you. and ran a 4.44, 36-inch vertical, 11-foot broad jump, 22 reps on the bench, I mean any any measurable you have. Check, check, check. You know, if you study his tape, he kinda he he's a you know, he's a he's a day two, day three Jeff Okuda. He's a Jeff Okuda that you can you don't have to spend a third overall pick on, maybe fourth, depending on where he goes. Very physical, very physical, excellent ball skills as well. He can play press. He's more of a zone corner. 34 PBUs, four picks and four blocked kicks. Yes, special teams guy as well. Again, versatility. This is a guy who locked up. NFL caliber receivers. Guys that, uh, you know, you're, if you're a college football fan, you should recognize these names. Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State. James Prochet out of SMU. Again, another guy I like this year, day three. Lock those guys down. Eight penalties this year, though. Little, little grabby, little handsy is Reggie Robinson. But other than that, for me personally, in terms of what you want out of a corner, he checks every single box. Love that guy. I would love to see him in this secondary. He is somebody that is needed. Another one of my favorite guys on film. Just just really bogged down in this guy's tape the other night. I like Logan Wilson a lot, linebacker out of Wyoming. and he. I've started to see him a lot in like those three, four-round mocks. I've seen him kind of creep his way up into the third round a little bit. You know, And he's definitely a possibility for the birds in the third round, in my opinion. Again, Logan Wilson, linebacker out of Wyoming. Good size, 6'2", 240. He was a three-year captain out in Wyoming. He's a downhill defender. He plays to the line of scrimmage. Quick read and react to the run. He processes fast. His instincts get him ahead of the block. Great, heady player. He can lateral movement, fluid for his size. He's solid in coverage, good in pass pro or good ball production, excuse me, 10 picks. Four years for a linebacker in college. 10 picks, not bad. Watch him tackle. Do me a favor, when you hear this, especially if it's before the draft, before day two, pull up Logan Wilson's, pull up his tape, watch his tackling fundamentals. If you've ever coached, this is exactly how you coach kids to tackle. Absolutely fucking beautiful. Just a clinic. He can shoot gaps with a nice bend. He squares his pads to leverage the gap as well. I think he's ideal as a Mike or a Sam linebacker. The downside with him, shallow pursuit angles. I think he doesn't trust his own pursuit angles at this point. Again, that's simple coach, pursuit drill. Just drill that into his head. But it leaves him vulnerable to those underneath seam routes that you see at the NFL level. And fifth and foremost, I have. There's more of a I got so many more guys here just from being a film dork and not having a whole lot of time, but I have to get this guy in. And I see we're approaching the hour mark, so I don't want to be uh I don't want to be too much of a loser here. <laughs> but I have to finish with this guy. I have to get him in. Because this is a guy that for me, I don't he might even go high second round, maybe. You're starting to hear his name a lot. In in mock draft circles, his name's popping up a lot. Third round, I think, is ultimately where he goes. I do not think he makes it to day three. I don't. If he does, I'll be shocked. But he's a guy, and I referenced him at the beginning of the show. If we come away with anybody on this list of sleepers, day two, day three guys, I'm sitting here talking about, if we come away with anybody, give me Lynn Bowden out of Kentucky. Again, in my opinion, you have to come out of this draft with more than one receiver. You have to. It's just it's it's that big of a need. And that's it's kind of his natural position. That's what he's played anyway. He's Mr. Everything down in Kentucky. He had been he had played receiver, also done a little bit out of the backfield. Now this year, Kentucky starting quarterback Terry Wilson goes down. Their backup comes in, Sawyer Smith. He gets hurt as well. So Kentucky had no quarterback. None. Bounds the emergency quarterback, so they had to; they were forced to play him at quarterback, and he ended up starting eight games. Actually, did pretty damn well for himself. Uh, quick story here: uh, ended up going to a Kentucky game, actually uh, Thanksgiving weekend, the Governor's Cup against Louisville. My brother-in-law, uh, you know, the wife—they've got family there in Kentucky. Brother-in-law is a huge Kentucky football fan, so we got him tickets. Uh, to the Governor's Cup for his birthday. He and I went uh, such a blast, except for the rain. Except for the rain, man. It it That's the most fun. He and I said to each other at that game, that's the most fun we never want to have again. And it doesn't help I'm kind of a big dude, but by halftime, like, I couldn't barely feel my legs, man. <laughs> I'm like, damn. Like, because I was the dumbass. Side note, again, if you ever go to a game where it's raining consistently, don't don't be a hero. Buy a fucking poncho. Buy a poncho. Because we go down at halftime and they're selling coffees. Just shit coffee too. Because they know everybody's like frostbite. And they're selling you these coffees and you're just like shaking. And I'm like, okay, while we're here, I want to try to find a poncho. Halftime, man. It's too late. <laughs> they're all fucking sold out. So I'm the only one without like a poncho. Not literally the only one, but you feel like, fuck, man. Like, I know I look stupid as fuck right now. I know I do. So anyway, uh, my first big boy college football game in person was an absolute blast, though. And I say that because I want to touch on the Governor's Cup against Louisville. Watching him in person uh, was absolutely – he put on a fucking show that day. Again, rainy day, (laughs) so you can't can't hold this against him too much, I guess. Passing stat line, and again, remember – Emergency quarterback, okay? One for two for four yards through the air. (laughs) He completed one pass through two, and it went four yards. All right? Again, emergency QB. However, 22 carries for 284 yards and four touchdowns against Louisville. Absolutely beat the shit out of them. They won the Governor's Cup. There was also a group of really hammered people in front of us uh some guy came up to me before before the game started we get there we get in the seat some guy walks up to me and he is just just a puddle man just gone and flask in hand walks up to me hey demetrius and you can't i know this is a podcast there's no video but i don't think i probably sound like a demetrius and i guarantee i don't look like one um, so that I'm just like, and it. What, what do you do at that point, man? What do you I'm just like, Hey man, right behind that campus police comes up like, Hey, come on, man. And they like, they pull the guy down. It was, it was just, it was, it was hilarious, dude. It made me think of that story. Just, I hadn't thought about that in about a month. Telling the story about that game made me think of it. Uh, look at what he did in the bowl bowl. Again, they get bowl eligible. He stepped in, they got, they became bowl eligible With him at quarterback, he torched Bud Foster's Virginia Tech defense in the Belk Bowl, 6-for-12 through the air, 73 yards and a touchdown, 34 carries and 233 yards and two touchdowns on the ground against Bud Foster's – again, here in Virginia, Bud Foster is a god. You know, I haven't lived here my whole life, but people that – Virginia Tech around here is hero worship. Bud Foster is, you know – He's he's that guy. Against the Virginia Tech defense that had been coached by Bud Foster for years, defensive college football legend, he torched him. They ended up beating Tech in the uh, Belk Bowl. First team AP All-American, all-purpose. Paul Horning Award winner is the nation's most outstanding all-purpose player. You know, watching him man, especially his film from last year, it, slot receiver is his natural position. I look at him, and he's perfect for jet sweeps and screens, right? Just get him in space. He's great in space. Those those little jet sweep plays that Peterson used to throw Aguilar's way, he's fucking pr- I'd love to see Lynn Bowden take one of those to the house, and he could. I mean, he, he's perfect. He's perfect. I would love to see what Peterson could do and get creative with Lynn Bowden. Uh, he's a super competitive guy. You know, If you watch him, he's a hard runner. He's not incredibly explosive, but he's hard. He's difficult for the initial defender to tackle. And he's effective as a returner as well. I just, Lynn Bowden can do everything. There's nothing he really can't do. He's not the best route runner, but at the end of the day, I think he, he brings, if you're doing a pros and cons list, he brings way more positives to the table than negatives. I think if this were, if he didn't have such a weird year himself, uh, given the circumstances in Kentucky, I think... And if it wasn't such a just gross receiver class, you might be looking at him as a, you know, late first, early second. I like him that much. Maybe not a lot of people do. Uh, But, again, I see more of Kentucky than probably most people that are going to hear this. So I'm, I'm big on Lynn Bowden. If we come away from day two with anybody that's not on the national radar per se, guys you see going in mocks everywhere when you click on anywhere online, Lynn Bowden is the guy that I want above anybody deep dive wise you heard it here first so hit us up hit me up on uh, Instagram at Podcast. you know DMs comments questions concerns anything you got what do you think of my list what do you think of these prospects do you think I'm a dumbass do you agree I'm open for anything man I'm open for anything conversation debate that's what this is I'm really, really curious to see how this thing plays out again tomorrow night. It, 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 there's so many ways this could go, man. I, I could go on for another hour. I really could. I don't want. I, I want to, but I don't. I'm not going to keep you here for another hour again. If I'm Howie Roseman, I'm not looking at moving up. The only way I look at moving up is if, say, C.D. Lamb happens to fall or like. I don't know, man. Fucking 16, Dallas is there at 17. Maybe okay, I'm going to give it up so I can, I'm going to give up the capital so I can jump ahead of Dallas and I can make sure they don't get C.D. Lamb. Do what you did to Dallas Goddard two years ago, or to Dallas Goddard. To Dallas when you took Dallas Goddard two years ago. Leap ahead of Dallas because it was the obvious Dallas pick. Witten had just retired. They needed a tight end bad. That, that I would advocate for. I'm all for pissing off fucking Cowboy fans. Other than that, Stay the fuck at 21. Stay at 21. If your guy's not there, if there's no Patrick Queen, say he goes to Jacksonville, or I could see him maybe going to Oakland, or Vegas now, whatever. The fucking Raiders. I'm not calling them Las Vegas. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Patrick Queen's still there. Excuse me, if Patrick Queen's gone, Jefferson, all those guys. Trade back, acquire an extra pick. If Jefferson's gone, take Queen. Get a receiver. Just do not trade up. It just occurred to me as I I said Patrick Queen and then I said take a receiver. Patrick Queen's not a receiver. I'm officially going loopy, so I'm gonna shut the fuck up and get the hell out of here. <laughs> I've been talking too much for the past hour. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. So. <laughs> Appreciate you listening. I have officially formulated all of the sentences I could formulate. I'll try and do better on Friday's episode again. Come back Friday, the Grease Poll Podcast. I'll break down what we did at 21 or wherever the hell we end up. Who's still on the board? Round two, round three. Who do I want? Who do you want? Who should we take? Who will we take? Stay tuned. Enjoy this episode. We'll see you on Friday for episode three, this has been episode two of the Grease Pole Podcast. I'll see you on Friday. Go birds. Yo, how'd Barkley put it? <laughs> looking like another Grease Pole night in Philly. Philly. Philly.